0: On episode 51 of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, emotional intelligence, step one.
1: The one common denominator where it all starts is looking at yourself. It starts with self-reflection.
0: You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast, insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. On today's episode, we're talking about the first step on the road to emotional intelligence, self-reflection. We talk a lot about emotional intelligence on this podcast, but it all starts with taking a good look at yourself. Chip talked about this recently. Have a listen.
1: What emotional intelligence is, when you are born, you're born with what is called an IQ. If everybody knows what an IQ is, that's basically they can test you and tell you how smart you are and there's debates back and forth. But most believe that when you are born, your IQ, it is what it is. It's static. It's you're born. It's kind of like DNA and that your ability to learn based on your IQ is somewhat static. But EQ, which is emotional intelligence, that is something that can be developed and learned over a period of time. It's something that can evolve. And when we look at people, especially in the workplace, and you look at people that get promoted and work through the system and end up in leadership roles, do we believe it's grounded primarily in IQ or EQ? EQ, and why EQ? Why if someone is extremely smart At times, they work for people that don't seem near as bright and not as smart. Matter of fact, even at times they self-proclaim they may not be as smart as the people that work for them, but yet they're in a leadership role over people that have a higher IQ. Why would that be? Well, there's a lot of reasons. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you somewhat of a framework to think about emotional intelligence and how it applies to you in your personal life and also in your work life. The concept of EQ was kind of popularized by a gentleman by the name of Daniel Goleman and he wrote a book on emotional intelligence and it became popular and it kind of grew and people are looking at the concept and how it applies to work and so he was in recent years the gentleman that brought it to light but we can go all the way back through the history of time and look at psychology and see where there's examples of people with high emotional intelligence, people with low emotional intelligence, and how that directly affected their life with relationships with others, as team members, as leaders in organizations. And the one common denominator where it all starts is looking at yourself. It starts with self-reflection. So I'm going to start by giving you a framework. A key moment is a decision point. It's a point in which you have to make uh, a decision. Now, typically a key moment can be very insignificant or it could be very major, but in, in this situation, a key moment is something that reoccurs in your life that you struggle with, okay? It's a trigger. It's something that causes you to act in a way that maybe is a, a negative behavior, and you want to figure that out. Our brain goes through two pathways. Let's start with the bottom one, the pathway of survival. The first step when a key moment happens is people resist the reality. From there, they disown the responsibility, they lack vision and purpose, and they typically react from fear. The brain is wired specifically for survival. That's our main instinct of the brain. And we are motivated by emotion, and fear of loss or potential gain are the two drivers. Fear of loss is a lot more important to us than potential gain. So if I went to Nate and said, you have two choices. I can give you a bowl of ice cream, or I can shoot you in the head, which would you prefer? His brain would naturally pick one over the other, wouldn't it? Well, it's Nate. I don't know. It's a toss-up here. But I'm going to go with, Nate's going to say, the fear of getting shot outweighs the potential gain of having a bowl of ice cream right now. Would you agree? So our brain is naturally wired to protect first. That's what it's designed to do. And with that in mind, if that's the case, when something happens, a key moment, people that are in a cycle of survival, first they resist reality, they disown the responsibility, lack Vision and purpose and they react from fear. And I'm going to talk about this in more depth as we go through the the steps here. The next is people that are on a pathway of success. First is they embrace reality. They exercise responsibility because they have a clear vision and purpose. And they act from integrity. Now the word integrity can stir up all kinds of emotions in different people. And for a simplistic thing, here's what I want to say. Integrity is not something that I define for you. Integrity is something that you have to decide what's important in how you live your life. Now, are there some basic rules? Absolutely. Can you lie or cheat or steal or harm other people? Of course not. Of course you can't do that. That's, those are common laws. No one has to say, well, this, is, this should be a part of your integrity model. Of course you know that. It's outside of those things that you have to decide how you want to be as a, as a human being to others. How you want to live your life, how you want to be perceived. Now, these pathways are habit forming. But how many of you know somebody in your life who constantly <clears throat> is a victim in every situation in their life? They are broke all the time and it's never their fault and they can always tell you why. It's not their fault. They have always worked for jerks. Every boss they've ever had has been an idiot, a jerk, treated them unfairly. It's never their fault. Every relationship they've ever been in, the other people were terrible to them. Their entire relationship was about them being selfless and giving, and the other person was selfish and taking in every aspect of that relationship. Everywhere they go, there is a problem that is not their fault, and they are victimized in almost every aspect of their life. Do you know these people? Of course we've all run across these people. We know these people. We can identify these people because it's easy to see the faults in others. It's easy. And there are people that are in this cycle and they don't know how to break it. Now there are people in this world that are truly victims. There are true victims that have had things happen in their life with no fault to their own that has truly created something in their life that has caused them harm. And it wasn't because of their action, but it was because the actions of others. And those people are not in this cycle because they choose to be there. It's because something's happened. But that is a small majority. The majority of the world is in this cycle because they self-sabotage. They do it to themselves, and they don't know how to change that paradigm and see things differently. Do we, as human beings, do we get caught up in it sometimes? Is it easier to be a victim than to take responsibility? Is it easier to see the faults in others than it is to see the faults in ourselves? Is there habit forming behaviors that we do that self sabotage ourselves? We know we shouldn't do it, but we continue to do it, and we're upset with ourselves after we're done, but we don't know how to break that habit. Those are examples of emotional intelligence. See, you're smart enough to know you shouldn't be doing it, but yet you do it anyway. It's not IQ, it's EQ. A perfect example for me is, I know how to lose weight and get in shape. I know how to do it. I don't need any more education. It's pretty simple, you, you put the fork down and walk around the block a couple of times, you lose weight. You sit, you pick up the fork and you don't walk around the block, you gain weight. But yet there is a billion dollars a year spent by human beings on shakes and potions and pills and all kinds of stuff to try and make hard work simple. We try to figure out how can we not have discipline, but get the results that we want. And I'm willing to pay to try the easy route to success because the obvious hard work to success is something I've tried and failed over and over again, and I just don't want to do it. Because, well, it's hard, right? Now, some are gonna say, well, but I have this problem, you know, this, that, and chicken fat, or all the reasons why I can't lose weight. And there are, again, on a bell curve, there's a few small amounts of people that truly have something that's causing them to gain weight that's outside of more calories in than calories out. But for the majority of us, it's calories in, calories burnt, period. You can say, well, it's because I don't have time. I work so much that I don't have time to eat healthy. Or it's expensive to eat healthy. I don't have the money to do Or it's my spouse. Every time I'm trying to be strong, he or she will make brownies. Oh, it's their fault. It's not my fault, it's their fault. I'm a victim of sick situations. Our break room is stocked full of great stuff. It's my company's fault that I lack discipline to lose weight. See, we can justify the reasons and the more we justify the reasons why it's not our fault, through spaced repetition, that becomes our new reality. See, our brain is wired to, to find evidence of what we believe. It's called cognitive bias or motivation bias. So if I believe something, my brain is going to look for evidence to support the way I believe. So if I believe Nate's a great guy, it's amazing how my paradigm of Nate changes. When I believe he's a good guy, I start to see evidence of the things that he does that are prove that he's a great guy. But if for whatever reason, I have an opinion that Nate is not a great guy, then all of a sudden the evidence is clear that Nate is not a good guy. And I make the assumption, which is wrong, that others see what I see. It's obvious that Nate is trying to hurt me and sabotage me at work. He's always showing up on time just to make me look bad. <laughs> he always gives great input at work just to make me look bad because he knew I was really busy with my kids last night and I didn't have time to prepare. But he always finds time to prepare. Why? Because he's trying to make me look bad. And everybody else knows it too. Everybody else sees it just like I do. And the few people that don't tell Nate that he's a bad person, they're just, they have their own agenda anyway. They know the truth, they just don't want to speak up. Because it's obvious everybody sees what I see. But what we know... In honesty and integrity is that in in all the research that's been done you know how do you measure whether or not someone is an honest person whether they're they have high levels of integrity if you're gonna try and hire them how, how do you measure that and through all the empirical data and research that's been done there's a common denominator that that I found fascinating and that is is that people that lie believe everybody lies Just some get caught and some don't. People that do drugs believe everybody does drugs, but some do more than others. Some get caught, some don't. People that steal believe everybody steals, just some a little bit more than others. And we know this because we've done the research on things like simplistic things like office supplies. So we'll ask a basic question. And the question will be, Do you feel it is stealing to take office supplies home? Specifically, (laughs) this will crack you up. Specifically, toilet paper. Rampant amounts of toilet paper are taken home by employees. And I know you think that's craziness, but I'm telling you, if you stockpile, like if you go to Sam's Club and you buy all kinds of toilet paper and you have it in a closet somewhere at your office, and it seems like, my goodness, we have... (laughs) We have a problem where we work. We go through lots of toilet paper. Yeah, that problem might not be what you think it is. There might be people that see it as a company perk to be able to take toilet paper home. And what we found through our research is that people that believe it's okay to take home office supplies believe everybody takes home office supplies. Some just do it more obvious than others. Do you see how that would be a mindset. We chuckle about this, but the truth is is that is a per- that, that perception by some, they believe that if I believe this, the majority believe this. And it is hard for them to even comprehend that they're in the minority of people that believe what they believe. I can tell you I've never seen this more than in our last presidential run. That the people that voted on either side were so confident that the rest of the world saw things the way that they saw them that they were shocked at the results shocked literally shocked there are people today regardless of your political belief there are people today that still believe that something had somebody cheated somebody lied somebody manipulated because there is no way that people could elect Trump because they see what I see. There's no, how could anybody vote for that person? Because it is obvious to everybody what a buffoon he is. Then there's people on the other side that feel the exact same way about Hillary. And they are just as convinced that the rest of the world sees what they see when it comes to Hillary Clinton. And they are just dumbfounded how anybody could see something opposite than what they see, because they've polled their friends, and their friends see the same thing they see, and so my center of influence sees the obvious. Why are there so many people that don't see the obvious the way we do? We obviously are the majority of smart people, and we, it is our obligation to inform the group that isn't as smart as we are. I have another meeting after this one, and I was not going to share any of this stuff because I'm going to share it with this next group. But some of the groups, well, the majority of the group's here, so I'm going to share it anyway. Has anybody ever heard of a theory called Dunning-Kruger? No? Oh, I'm shocked. Nobody's, Dunning-Kruger theory? Those of you that are not Trump fans, look it up. You'll have a great laugh. Dunning-Kruger. So let me explain what Dunning-Kruger theory is. There, back in 1999, there was a gentleman by the name of William something or other, and he decided he was going to rob a bank, actually two of them. And one of his friends told him that if you take lemon juice and you rub lemon juice all over your face, that you become invisible to security cameras. (laughs) So he said okay so he took lemon juice rubbed it all over his face and before he went to go rob the first bank he thought you know what I'm gonna try this make sure it works so he took a Polaroid camera and he took a Polaroid camera, and he took a picture and it printed out and sure enough it was nothing it looked like a blank wall and he thought this works so he got up in the morning he's in Pennsylvania in a town he goes in and at gunpoint clear as day he robs the bank Later that day, he robs a second bank. And as soon as that happens, the police come. They look at the security cameras. They put it out quickly. ABP, all the other police stations. Within an hour of him robbing the second bank, he's arrested. They bring him into the police station, and he's mumbling under his breath how upset he is that he's he's been arrested. But I used the juice. I used the juice. I used the juice. And the police kept looking at him going, what 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 are you saying? And he said, "Well, I used the juice. I used the juice." And they said, "What does that mean?" And he said, "Well, my friend told me that if I put lemon juice all over myself, that security cameras can't detect me. I'm invisible with lemon juice." And I even took a Polaroid. And it wasn't me. It wasn't me. And they said, "But here's a security camera video." And he looked at it. And he just—he still at that point is just dumbfounded how this happened and he still was defiant that's not me that's not me they're like that's you your family says that's you everybody said that's you but and he's like no that's not me because I use lemon juice and I put lemon juice on so that's not me and the police are like so you're admitting to robbing the banks but you're in denial that that's you because you use lemon juice he's like yes So, Dunning, who is a psychologist, professor at Cornell, and Kruger, who is his understudy, they found this fascinating. They saw it on the news. And so, they went and they studied this guy. And what they found quickly was that stupid people have no idea they're stupid. (laughs) That's really what it comes down to, that stupid people do not have the cognitive ability to understand they're stupid. So, what makes you stupid is actually the same skill that is required for you to understand you're not stupid but because you're stupid you don't have that skill so stupid people can never figure out they're stupid on the opposite end and I'm not getting to the point that there's a bunch of stupid people here there's a point to this methodology what they did is they took grad students and they gave them three tests to try and study this experiment. The first was, I think, in English. The second was a math, and they gave them a humor test. So what they did is they wrote a bunch of jokes. They had professional comedians say, these things are funny, these things are not funny, and they kind of knew. So they tested all of these students, and before they gave them their grades back, what they said was, based on the assessments we just gave you, the test we just gave you, where do you think you scored? And what they found was very fascinating. What they found is that people that scored in the lowest percentile, which is below about 12%, so they got hardly anything right at all, believed that they will score in the top 70 to 80 percentile. They believed it. And the people that scored higher on the assessments or the test actually always underestimate their ability to do well. Why do you believe that is? People that have the cognitive ability to self-reflect, see their faults, see where they're at, and also give credits to others, meaning I know that everybody else in this room probably knows as much about the subject as I do, so I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I'm probably average. Matter of fact, I'm probably a little bit below average because the more I learn, the more I realize I really don't have a full grasp of this concept. So the more I learn, the more I recognize that I'm not as brilliant as I thought I was. Because the more I peel back the layers, the more I realize there's more to learn than what I know. The problem with stupid people is is that stupidity exaggerates their confidence level. But they don't have the cognitive ability to recognize it. So when they score in the bottom percentile at 12, that stupidity creates a grandiose concept in their mind that they're 80, 90%. They truly believe they're as good, if not better, than anybody else. Now, if I was to show you a video right now in our real world example, there's nothing better as an example than if I showed you videos of the tryouts for America Has Talent. You've all seen these, and if you haven't, you should google it sometime it's hilarious where people will show up and they're sitting in front of the judges and they talk about their talent Whether most of the time it's singing and they start singing and it's a train wreck I mean it is literally a train wreck they are horrific terrible and the judges start laughing and they try not to laugh and, but the person continues to sing and then the judges stop them and Simon is the most brutal but he will say, that was awful, that was terrible, you should never sing, ever. That was the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And the people will stand there and say, well, that's your opinion. I'm, I know I'm good, and I, I, I think you're mean, but that's not true. I know I'm good. And." You know, maybe I didn't make it this audition, but I'll I'll be back again. Because my friends tell me I'm good. My mom tells me I'm good. I I sing at home all the time. And they truly do not recognize how bad they are. Do you know these people? I mean, have you seen any of these examples? Have you ever been around someone or worked with someone who is so self-confident about their abilities... But yet, so unaware of how they are perceived by others that it's almost laughable. (coughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know who, you know examples of these people? Well, they don't. They don't know who they are. They don't. Because they lack the ability to understand that they're perceived that way. And so, when you confront them and say to them, Do you realize? These behaviors, this blind spot that you have is affecting yourself or your team or your relationships or whatever else. They not only disagree with you, they get angry. Because you're just being mean and spiteful and vindictive. I know I'm not that way. It's very clear that I'm not that way. Matter of fact, I'm better than most. Nobody respects women more than I do. Nobody. I am the least racist person you will ever meet on the planet. When someone makes statements like that, is that self-aware or not self-aware? Do we know people that make blanket grandiose statements and they clearly do not see in themselves what others see? Yes, that's called a lack of emotional intelligence.
0: Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us. Every little bit helps. Our website is hpleadershippodcast.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at HPL underscore podcast. And shoot us an email at podcast at 360solutions.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.